0: cause I'm in this Canadian quarantine where I can't leave the house for two weeks. So I posted on Instagram, like, Hey, if there's, you know, people who want to ask me questions, I'm, I have time so I can zoom. And I've been zooming with a couple of new emerging filmmakers every night. And this is weird to say, I can tell within five minutes, like just, and I'm sure, you know, it's like, not talking a single thing about film. It's how someone talks. It's their ability to tell a story, how they speak about themselves, how they speak about the world. Like you just know if someone is a, a filmmaker and there was one or two people who just chatting with them, they haven't even, I, I'm not even sure if they've made a film, but now I'm invested in that person. And I'm like, please reach out to me. How can I help you? I If I believe in you or I see something in you, I will do anything to help you. That being said, I don't DM me and say, can you read my script? Like That's not the way to get support, but if you do it in the right way, and I believe in you, I really will do anything.
1: Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman is a podcast on directing for anybody that's quite simply ever watched anything. Pete converses with a wide range of fellow directors, writers, actors, showrunners, producers, executives, and more on a journey to determine just what makes a good director and why we'll always need stories. The Director is Pete Chapman's digital studio, built on the pillars of craftsmanship that ensure a unique vision. I'm talking about story, innovation, perspective. Learn more about The Director, and better yet, get your official Director's Chair wear by visiting www.drctr.video. That's drctr.video.
2: All right, folks, what's up? This is Pete Chapman welcoming you to episode 15 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. And if I'm incorrect, I apologize because right now I am on set, um, back shooting, uh, currently working on season two of Mythic Quest, which is a great show. If you haven't checked out season one, check it out on Apple TV. Um, Molly McGlynn is an awesome director, a writer, uh, a producer. She is from Canada. You'll, you'll get to enjoy her uh, lovely t-shirt in the video when you hop into the other side of this intro. And she came up in the world of short films, which I'm always an admirable fan of because of the passion that it communicates for storytelling, the dedication to making it happen by any means. and. Uh, there's a great deal of uh, filmmaking and storytelling learning to be had in the short film process. So she's from that. Um, She came up, she made a feature called Mary Goes Round, starring Aya Cash. And this is probably the first episode where our guest is a direct reflection of the lightning round question, who should be our next guest? So Molly McGlynn is here. She has plenty to share on her journey from Canada to Hollywood, from short film to producing director on Bless This Mess. And she's just a really great pleasure to talk to and I hope you enjoy. And I will check you out on the other side.
1: Roll sound. Speed. The interview,
0: take one.
2: So tell me, what do you consider yourself a writer first or a director?
0: I consider myself a writer first and I think it's sort of by fluke that I ended up being a director for hire which I always feel like a bit of an asshole for saying because so many people are trying to get into the episodic game and when they ask how I got into it and I was like I actually didn't know I was getting into it and the reason being was I started my career in Canada and I had an agent up here who was representing me as a writer and director and I was earlier in my career, sort of saying, um, you know, where are all these writing jobs? Like, how do I get in the room? And he, he said to me, oh, I've been pitching you as a director. I was like, oh, <laughs> that sort of explains why I'm not getting into a writer's room right now. So, you know, I think his strategy at the time a few years ago was when um, people were really starting to be more open to the concept of female directors, which is sort of a phrase that I loathe. Um, Mm -hmm. However. What uh, what
2: phrase do you prefer?
0: You know what, maybe I take that back. I am okay with um, being categorized as such, but I don't enjoy questions that preface questions about my work with as a female director, how to do blah, blah, blah. You know right. in that context, it has no relevance right um but i uh you know back to your question about being a writer, I've always written, and you know, like a lot of people, I started doing shorts and and whatnot just to get my work made because no one really cared mm. um and At one point, uh, it just sort of switched, and that was when I started uh, directing TV after I'd made my first feature. Um, But interestingly enough, I've done more episodic work in the past two years, and now I'm sort of trying to swing back to the writer-director, writer-identity.
2: Right. Isn't it interesting how, like... (laughs) You do all these things, right? You, ha- you have such a, a, a long journey and you have a couple articles that I want to talk about later uh, that I think are great that you wrote. Um, but then you finally get that shot and now you're only considered able to do the thing for which you got the shot. <laughs> you know? Um, so when you, think about, when you think about like the first films, like what was the thing that pushed you to make that first short?
0: Um, the thing that pushed me to make my first short, which is called I'm Not a Weird Person, is because my roommate and I lived in Toronto over a convenience store where we'd, like, smoke cigarettes on the fire escape and, like, watch the raccoons. Um, you know, I was talking about wanting to direct, and, um, she was a, um, a comedian and writer, and she wrote a script about an agoraphobe contained to location, and she said, why don't you direct it? And I said, I can't do that. And she said, well... If you want to be a director, you're going to have to fucking direct at some point. And I said, okay, when are we doing this? Fold out her calendar, put a date. I think it was like a month out. I was like, how are we shooting this? We have no money. Who's producing this? And she said, we are. And I was like, are you fucking crazy? So then a week into it, I was like, ah, something came up that weekend. I can't. she's like, no, cancel whatever you're doing. You're directing this thing. So we made a very lo-fi Indiegogo video and uh, raised a couple grand, and off we went. And I really credit my friend Marnie for the reason why I'm a director today, because I needed the kick off the ledge. She's Dutch. She loves to just get things done. She's very pragmatic. Um, And here we are.
2: That's awesome. Yeah, sometimes you you have to dive into the pool to see uh, whether or not you sink or swim.
0: Right. And it it was pretty chaotic. The first short is just like... She wrote it, she was starring in it, it, involved a cat. We didn't know she was allergic to cats. She's covered in hives. We don't know what we're doing, you know, the whole thing. Like she stayed up till four in the morning making craft for everybody. Like it was banana town.
2: <laughs> it, but that, if you haven't cut your teeth on a short film where you've done every single job, you know, like like you're telling right? Like you're working on craft. You're, oh, I gotta go pick up the van yeah. in, in the States. Uh, and I don't know if it's different in Canada, but the thing that was the biggest hurdle as a young filmmaker was, like, filmmaker was who's 25 and who can rent the van?
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Um, and
2: you find out who your friends are when you're like, uh, will you go get this van for me and give yeah. me the key? Oh,
0: for um, sure. She, she, I remember Marnie slept in a parking garage because the equipment was in the van. See? Like the see? town is sleeping in the van. Like the whole thing is crazy. So you know but that that you know once I did that it's uh really activates the addiction part of my brain I was just like oh god this I can't exactly. stop this now
2: <laughs> so what can do you can you pinpoint the first story that you remember hearing seeing uh or even like a, a thing you watched happen live uh with fe- friends and family that uh kind of stands out to you as like ah oh, look at the power of storytelling
0: I mean, so much. Like, my family is all from Ireland. Irish culture is very much into oral storytelling. Um, I, you know, my grandfather in Ireland, I remember him saying to me when I was a kid, he said, um, knock on any front door and you'll find a bestseller. And he said, mm-hmm. some people have a novella and some people have Moby Dick, but it's up to you to figure out what it is. And I didn't know what he was talking about at the time, but that has really guided my curiosity about people. Um, And then I was born in Montreal, but our family moved to New Jersey. So, you know, we were always hopping on the train, midtown direct to New York. And every Sunday, my mom would be like, just see whatever cheap tickets, (laughs) NYC ticks she could get. And, you know, we we saw Samuel Beckett, we saw Ragtime, like whatever was playing that was cheap tickets, we would go to. So I was constantly exposed to stuff, whether or not I liked it or not, i.e. Samuel Beckett when you're eight. Uh uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I can sort of attribute my culture and specifically my mother, who, you know, I think had a poet spirit and gave me the value of storytelling.
2: That seems like a very useful... uh and maybe maybe you never know you're getting these gems when they're being given to you but that seems like a very useful thing for directing as well because there's a certain humanity that you have to hope for in these people that you're working with sometimes that might have might present you with uh challenging attitudes or temperaments and it's like you know everybody's moving through the world with their own suitcase and just kind of trying to discover whether it what the novella or the or the Moby Dick novel yeah. or whatever it is that um, is really the, the reason behind whatever person you're meeting each day.
0: That's so great. I um, uh, what was I going to say. Oh, yeah. Um, the other thing that I that I really valued, I mean, I, you're a New Yorker as well, right?
2: well i i want to come back because I, I grew up in new jersey and i didn't know that you lived there for a time so we'll, we'll we'll come back to that
0: okay um just you know the proximity to all the museums too like i when we first moved to new jersey i was like five and none of the furniture had arrived at the house and my mom was just like what am i supposed to do with these kids she we had five daughters she brought us to a museum and she said you cried the whole way there you didn't want to go to the museum and then when you got there, she was like, I saw a shift in you. And she was like, she's not with us anymore, but she said she knew at that point I was gonna be creative. And she said the security guard was like, all right, get out, museum's clothing. And she said, you just cried the whole way home. So there was this thing that happened to you in that space. I also minored in art history in college. So, you know, I think as filmmakers, it's not it. cinema uh, language is so important, but it's also about art history. It's about music. It's it's just so interdisciplinary.
2: There's a George Lucas quote I used to uh, <clears throat> I used to remember, but but I had it on. I used to teach at NYU, and and the quote was like it basically dealt with the fact that like filmmaking is what you're saying. It's literature. It's psychology. It's, um, you know, it's architecture. It's almost every discipline rolled into one. Um, And when you have a fluency and and an ability to kind of know which one of them is most important in every moment that you're directing, you'll find that you can really uh, craft and have more control over what you're doing. And um, I was gonna, so where where in New Jersey did you live?
0: Um, I grew up in Chatham, New Jersey, which is North Jersey. Oh my god,
2: this is crazy. So I, I grew I grew up in South Orange.
0: That's that's wild.
2: That is my really Lauren wild. Hill's town. She, I went to high school with her.
0: That is Wild! <laughs> I used to walk around the Short Hills Mall, and once we saw Lauren Hill going into some like fancy store. I think we like chased that poor woman and her kids around she, as teenagers.
2: She was probably going into the into the Polo store. Um and and she worked at that mall at the at the foot locker for a period of time. And I used to work at the Banana Republic, which was right next to um, Country Road, Australia. Um, <laughs> so I, I may have seen you at the mall. I might have I might have sold a pair of socks to you or someone in your family. you may
0: have because I spent a lot of time there. A teenage girl in New Jersey, there's not much to do.
2: <laughs> the, the mall stroll. that's a yeah. that's a that's a, a Saturday afternoon event. Um, I, what type of museum did you go to? Was it a natural history? Was it art? Like I mean, what?
0: dinosaurs are cool, but I really like the MoMA is my place. I think it's I think it's this fifth or sixth floor. The top floor has everything like post uh, nineteen forty six onwards, mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. that floor is my jam. Like if I won the lottery, I would. Like night at the museum, but there and like get segues for me and all my friends to like ride around and have sleep over
2: there. <laughs> nah, that would be that would be pretty awesome. I had a um, MoMA subscription at a point where I was just like buying, trying to get a discount on the cool shit that they sold. Yeah. Um, so I, for the people who are listening, Molly has on a Canadian stereotype t shirt, and I actually wanted to ask, like, what. It, what's the difference, if you could pinpoint it, and with and I'm not trying to make any broad sweeping generalizations, but like what's, what's the difference between being Canadian and being American? And how do you think that affects working in this particular industry?
0: Oh, God. Um, there is a general sense of social responsibility and you know, uh, collective ideology that I think Canadians really pride themselves on. So in terms of how it relates to this business, I mean, I'm nothing without my community of people. I've made no work without everyone who's showed up. So, you know, the Canadian in me feels comfortable being, being part of something bigger than myself. And I think at the same time, there is this sort of beautiful, fraught, complicated ideology of American individualism. And I grew up in the US, so half my time is spent there. Um, so I've seen both sides. That ideology has made for amazing artists, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But then there's a, a shadow side to that as well too.
2: Right. Yeah, it's the it's the gift and the curse, right? And it's and, and all the it's like all these political debates where it's like Uh, uh, you know capitalism or whatever and then we don't want to or some don't want to acknowledge that there are uh many quote-unquote communist or socialist things that make the country actually work you know and it's like how do you find a balance between um individualism but also collective uh uh, progress um and do you do you think that that has um attributed to like any like temperament for you? Because I feel like I, I was on a Zoom yesterday and I feel like the, the biggest thing I often get into when talking about this job we do as directors is that it's it's so much about emotional intelligence and it's so much about like like really how you navigate, how you deal with uh, incoming bullshit, right? that one down. So like is there does it contribute to like a, a uh, any any uh, enhanced skill in doing in dealing with that?
0: I wouldn't say that my sort of national identity has anything to do with that. I would say that it has everything to do with my personal experiences and personal trauma and just a whole bunch of shit, you know, family crap. but I sort of have a theory that, the people who are drawn to work in this industry have had difficult childhoods and that theory might be wrong but like I just there's a resilience that this industry requires Mm -hmm. and oftentimes people who have gone through difficult things inherently are more resilient so I don't know if there's some sort of overlap there or this is just complete bullshit.
2: I, I feel like we're at, we're at doctorate level conversation. This is all very,
0: wildly unqualified. <laughs> um, it's, uh, I don't know. It's funny. Like the Canadian and me, um, I, I, I like to be polite. You know, I, I don't, I, I don't try to take up, like I, I'm not into the director as persona type, energy it's not really Mm. my vibe but at the same time it's like i always say like the jersey can come out you know it's like there's also that irish blood grew up in jersey so it's like you know i'm canadian to some degree but then damn watch out
2: right yeah just just so you know don't please don't make me remind you
0: don't let me remind you that Uh, irish temper runs hot
2: exactly and and you need it's like fuel it's like you know it's there it's there when you need it um, well, let's talk about, let's talk about the the, the journey, like you, you kind of were propelled into these short films. And what I love about what you've done is you were like, let me explore my voice, let me kind of, it seems like there was a sense of, there's a, there's a quantity, quality and quantity here. And let me just keep making <laughs> different shorts and, and and mastering my craft. Um, can you talk about how you viewed the period in which you did um how many shorts did you do? It looks like you did you had office daydreams, I'm not a weird person, shoes, given your history, and three-way not calling.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that that seems about right. And like a couple of other, you know, branded content and whatever. Um that period was very fraught it was it was a growth period it was a learning period it was in my 20s where i was struggling through some personal stuff as well um but when i look back on it now it's like that period was awesome i was trying things on i didn't even know i was a comedy director i had been rejected from yeah there was this weird time where i was writing the script for my what would then be my feature? Mary goes round in a shed in Los Angeles and I had interviewed at the AFI for their women's director's lab. Mm-hmm. And then I drove back to Canada and hadn't heard anything from AFI. And then like I got back and there was a rejection letter from them. Then I got a rejection letter about uh, Canadian funding for three-way not calling. You know, it was bleak. It was like driving from L.A. into the Canadian April winter Sitting outside, drinking whiskey on the stoop, and just being like, "Well, fuck, I made three-way not calling a comedy because I wanted to see if I could write comedy to see if I was funny." And oddly, you know, leading up to that, most of the stuff had been more drama, and then that short sort of got me on the map a little bit, and it got me an interview for Working Moms, which is a half-hour comedy on Netflix, and. It's, Sort of went from there, um, but it's funny that to your point earlier about sort of being pigeonholed. Uh, you know, I just did an experimental short to test a skill set, and that ended up now, a few years later, it's like, oh, I'm sort of in half hour comedy right, right. now.
2: Right. Yeah, it's so interesting. I i i'm a i'm a person who did four directing programs. And in the first one, they were like, do you view yourself more as comedy or drama? And I was rambling for like three minutes to silence on the other end of the phone, at which point I was like, what do you think, right? <laughs> because because I had this, there's the motivations I had, the agendas I had for the stories I told, And I was more, I saw that more than the way that I approached them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So like, like I I had this serious topic that had humor to it, but to me, it was like dramatic. And it was, but people didn't receive it that way because of the packaging. And I was like, man, it's, it's really, uh, I mean, that's probably a big challenge for us It's like, can you identify what you're doing yourself before they pigeonhole you into somewhere that you didn't want to be placed? Um, and so what would you say um if you could like what would be like if you went through each of your shorts what skill did you learn from each one if you could like on the spot identify like when I did uh when I did shoes I really got uh I enhanced my ability to with editing or I don't know you know
0: Yeah um the first one I'm not a weird person I would just say I learned how the hell you even make something, like how a set runs. Um, Shoes was an experiment, like high concept that I don't think worked. (laughs) 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 That was sort of outside of the space. Uh, That should have been a poem or a short story, but anyways, Um, Given Your History was um, sort of a a real short. There was money behind it. it. It was like 14 minutes what i learned from that is uh maybe don't be so earnest with drama um but also i was working with two great actors and i feel like they leveled me up a little bit um Mm. got more into camera language with that one and then i'm not a uh, three-way not calling was a threesome sex comedy so a lot of that was uh working with actors in you know sex scenes and comfort levels and the delicacy required around that.
2: Right, right. And uh, I I do want to back up, you said with shoes, it was like, it maybe should have been more of a poem, but was there anything like, uh, was there anything else that you took away from it that you applied later, like?
0: It It was my attempt to do something that existed on visual storytelling less so. Uh, a narrative script it was more mm-hmm. like poetic i would say um so absolutely that's a valuable exercise
2: right so it was kind of like like the like a tone poem
0: yeah totally
2: yeah which is I, which is uh a thing in and of itself there's a bit of an art to that too though right cuz like if you're able to um sometimes like you get a montage opportunity in some show where you can really like push the visual style because it's unique to your episode and you can maybe go back to that to the beauty of your shoes skip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah um so how did you get to how to buy a baby because that was was that something that was paid for was that a Canadian production or was that like an independent production
0: um Canada has like all sorts of funding opportunities which is uh, a real advantage to emerging filmmakers—they uh, have something called the Independent Production Fund, which I think finances web series are up to two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which is healthy for web series. Um, uh, great comedic writer Wendy Littner uh, wrote it. It's ten episodes of a couple struggling to have a child uh, via. IVF and all of that. So I directed all those episodes um, and doing a web series like I think I did it after the feature. A web series more or less felt like a feature to me. Hmm. It's continuous production and it's, um, you know, even though they're contained episodes, it takes about the same amount of time and energy. But yeah, that was great. Like the series was nominated for an international Emmy, which was cool, um, you know, because we were just a little group of Canadians doing a web series.
2: Right. And so that I didn't know that. So that you shot that after Mary, Mary goes round. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. I needed and a was, job. <laughs> hey,
2: look that that is uh, for all the people listening. That is uh, I have I had a, a guest on uh, my buddy Dory Misick who was like, when you see me in uh, you know a show like this, uh, just know I'm doing it to pay for the arty shit I'm about to do next summer. <laughs> oh,
0: totally. Luckily, how to buy a baby is like one of my favorite things still ever. But um, oh yeah, I fully anticipate things in my career that uh, it, it's it's for for the work, right. <laughs> and that's okay. There is no shame in that,
2: right? At the end at the end of the day, too. I mean, we're we are craftspeople, right? Like I hear about some of these architects that friends deal with, where they're like they want their they want a particular room or door, and the architect will like refuse to do it, and I'm like there are directors who operate like that and it, and it's not a it's not a good place to be um, for longevity. Uh, so I want to I want to read this quote um, from your rejection is how you become a filmmaker. Uh, now was that for TIFF? Was that a blog post for TIFF or was it an article? What, where I, did that... I sort
0: of like angrily wrote it and just self-published it on Medium and then I think someone at TIFF was like can we publish this on our on our website? <laughs> <laughs> mm.
2: So, well, it, it it clearly speaks to to the to the process. So it said, "Yes, I love what I do," and yet there are so many moments where the process of being a filmmaker is heartbreaking, frustrating, and brings out weird emotions, especially as you get rejected from stuff, which is pretty much all the time. And I feel like in everyone's career or journey, there's like the peaks and the valleys and that probably uh, kind of falls into the valley portion. Like, what is it that kept you going and how did you, uh, and this is really a transitional question into like talking about Mary Goes Round, like how did you navigate that period of time and all the rejection to make a film that went on to be so award-winning and so well done I saw it uh in Santa Monica at that uh, at the at the theater and um you know it seems that propelled you into so many different opportunities
0: uh I mean what kept me going I think people like us I feel like to persevere through those valleys like there's, there's self-belief and then there's like maybe a little bit of delusion. Like you're just sort of like deluded into thinking it'll work out. And I don't think in that context, it's a negative thing. So, you know, I was slightly deluded. Um, the other thing I will say that people don't talk about a lot, but I think it's important for people to hear in terms of like access and support and, and all this. So I went through a program called the Canadian Film Center which is sort of like would sort of be like an NYU screenwriting type program um I am very close one of my closest friends from college in Canada uh, her family sort of generously supported me during that transitional time they saw how hard I was working and um said, look, uh, you, need, you need our support and uh, my parents are not in the picture. So I was given the opportunity basically to have my rent paid for a year. So wow. in terms of how I got through that valley, like it's because I had financial support from people who saw what I was trying to do. And I think that is an enormous privilege that is important to talk about because I don't know what the path would have looked like if I didn't have that.
2: Right, right. I mean, it's like, it's the Maslow Triangle, right? Like if, like you need food and shelter <clears throat> before you can think about plot point t- two. You know what I mean? Like you like you you have to have like, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: And I like to pay it forward. I've always wanted to do a scholarship called A Room of Her Own, a mm. reference to Virginia Woolf that i don't want to see applications about your film necessarily like i just want filmmakers to apply and like i would love to pay someone's rent like i don't want to get into financing your film but i right. know the value of space and to alleviate the stress of paying rent like that changes people's lives
2: that would be like the the award before the like macarthur award right like yeah. it, instead yeah. of half a million like this is what gets you to the place where you can actually plant the seeds yep. and have the ability to explore a creative path and then you make the project and then you get the macarthur award but they they always have to thank molly because it all started there
0: <laughs> right yeah <laughs> that they can thank me later <laughs> I, I, dedications.
2: <laughs> I think it's i think that's a good idea though that would be a it, it's identifying a, a place in the journey that people probably overlook
0: Oh, absolutely. And I feel like, you know, there's part of me, I didn't talk about it for a while. Cause I was like, Oh, I don't know if I feel comfortable talking about financial support and all of that. But, uh, I think it's important because I think it's bullshit when people ask like, you know, how do I get into the film industry? And, you know, I just hate when people say like, Oh, you just got to make a film or you just got to do that. It's like, you have no idea what is going on in that person's life, who they're financially responsible to like, It's just so presumptuous um, to presume that someone can just make a film.
2: Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that is impossible. And I know for myself, like I I did almost three years of kind of, I had an open invitation to crash on a mattress at my sister's place in Santa Monica. And 50% of the year was here in LA, 50% was in New Jersey. And it was the ability to do that that afforded me the opportunity to build the relationships that it would take three years to pay off. You know, yeah. um, there's also this thing that I've that I'm often referencing on the podcast. Like you have mentors and you have cheerleaders, and it sounds like the friends family uh, was in the cheerleader category. But I know you worked as an assistant to Deepa Mehta, yeah. And Was she more of a mentor for you? And can you talk about that um, relationship and journey?
0: Yeah, so Deepa is like one of Canada's most well-known directors. She's Indian Canadian. She was nominated for an Academy Award. She's just incredible. Like she, as a woman and a woman of color, was doing the thing way before we were having these conversations. And that in and of itself is pretty remarkable. I was ready to get out of Canada and move to New York in one of the valleys and then someone called and said Deepa is looking for an assistant. And I, you know, at that point was like, there's less than a handful of women, writer directors in Canada who can stand alone. It's like Sarah Polly or Deepa. So it's was like, I need to see what this looks like, what this life looks like. Um, so I was hired as her assistant, did that for about two years. And the ability to work that closely with a filmmaker, not only you know, I had access to her development, her editing suite, but sort of emotionally what it looks like to be a filmmaker and it's no joke and it never ends. It goes on and on and on. And when I quit the job, I was so nervous to tell her because I was just so loyal and indebted to her. But I said, you know, I was in tears and I said, I have have to quit. And I, I was like, I think I need to start making films. And she sort of said a version of, well, what the hell are you doing sitting here then? She said, you better get up and start making films. And since then, she's been so supportive. She's someone who, you know, a couple months ago, I gave her a draft of uh, a new feature I'll be shooting next year that I thought was much better than the first. And she was just sort of like, no. (laughs) That is invaluable. Someone who tells you that your draft has taken a step back from the first, like that is the type of person you want to send your script to.
1: Mm.
2: This is a. I don't forgive me if I don't phrase this question. But it, as I, as you mentioned, like she pushed you, right, to kind of go toward um, making making these films, and your and your friend before kind of pushed you into the web series. Do you find that you have an ability to see in other creatives? that they need that same push. Like, can, can you can you see it, like, and identify?
0: Yeah, like, even a few weeks ago, I posted on Instagram, like, because I'm in this Canadian quarantine where I can't leave the house for two weeks. So mm-hmm. I posted on Instagram, like, hey, if there's, you know, people who want to ask me questions, I'm, I have time so I can Zoom. And I've been Zooming with a couple of new emerging filmmakers every night. And this is weird to say, I can tell within five minutes, like, just, And I'm sure, you know, it's like not talking a single thing about film. It's how someone talks. It's their ability to tell a story, how they speak about themselves, how they speak about the world. Like you just know if someone is a a filmmaker um, and there was one or two people who just chatting with them, they haven't even, I'm not even sure if they've made a film, but now I'm invested (laughs) in that person and I'm like, please reach out to me. How can I help you? I, um, if I believe in you or I see something in you, I will do anything to help you. I'm a generous person. That being said, I don't DM me and say, can you read my script? Like That's not the way to get support. But if you do it sort of in the right way and I believe in you, I really will do anything.
2: Right. This is almost worth like a, a commercial break because that shit it, it happens so often. Like I get so many DMs. Sure. Like, you know, Oh, I want to like do this or uh, you know, let me shadow you. It's like for like what? on yeah. like. There's so first like if, at least write Pete comma. Yeah. And I then, mean, yeah. Like and then and then start right. Like at least do that. Like don't. It, it shows like you have no you haven't taken the time to research like well what is the process here you know i feel like you could and this is part of the why i want to do the podcast like there you could listen to probably a, a podcast episode and get your question answered that's hopefully the goal you know but like you're you're not gonna like like uh create a mentor in like a, a, a test tube you know what I mean it's going to happen from a, a natural uh progression of events where people can see that you're uh genuinely committed and passionate because you know another thing that would happen is like you know folks say oh let's work on this idea or this oh this would be great I'd be like yeah well why don't you draft that up and then crickets yeah, right? not- like Nothing, and and not that it's They're like. Amazing.
0: Hey, Pete, I'm just here to ride your coattails in place, case it isn't clear.
2: <laughs> yeah, and it's like like just, but but what's interesting is that I I feel like I am now at 43, seeing what I what people must have seen in me, right? Like the people who like wrote ten thousand dollar checks for my feature. I'm like, oh, you probably saw what I'm seeing in this person at 19. Like, just like they believe in it, they've got a sense of understanding the world and they um, they need a shot more than anything.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I chatted with one filmmaker who um, spoke about intergenerational trauma. He was just telling me about his family and right. I won't disclose who it is, but he just said, um pain is an orbit that's followed my family and sometimes it's in front of us and sometimes it's behind us and sometimes it walks alongside me i've been thinking about that for days i was talking Mm -hmm. to my therapist about it yesterday like that visual description of how pain follows families i was like what this person has to write the script you know and i was like right uh this is someone who i'm interested in um the other thing to to sort of jump on what you were saying in terms of when people are asking for help, like if someone has a specific ask, it's so much easier to help you. Like my first feature just played at this festival. I noticed you're wrapped by so-and-so. Like what's your experience with them? Like, I don't know, just some pointed question, just like I want to talk about filmmaking or how to get into it. To your point, it's like, listen to podcasts or read books or...
2: Right, right, right. Yes, yes, that that might, I might do an episode on that. Um, my, sure. my parting, my parting statement on it would be though, my last assistant had sent me a DM. And it was uh, this Uh and, and it, it was well it was it was written the right way. And I was like, oh, Okay, I didn't delete it. And maybe eight months later. A former NYU student of mine was like, "Oh, my my buddy, you know that I that I know from Long Island had reached out to you, blah blah blah." And I was like, "Oh shit, that was dude." And then I went back to that DM. I was like, "Yo, let's meet." And then, like for like about six months, he was my director's assistant, and now he's like in writers' rooms and just got management as a. But like, I knew from that, I there was something about it that made me say, "I'm not going to just like delete this one." Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that people could, uh, go a long way in studying how, uh, how relationships are nurtured.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: This is Seek Man. You're listening to Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman.
1: How to Succeed as a Creative Professional is Pete Chapman's upcoming book about his journey as a director. What started in 1993 has been a marathon full of persistence and creative pivots. Transitioning from indie filmmaker to teaching at NYU's acclaimed film school, to running a production company, to directing television and commercials, and ultimately eyeing a return to the feature films that gave him his start. A mixture of how-to, self-help, and inspiration, this book will be for any person eyeing a successful career in a creative art. How to Succeed as a Creative Professional is coming soon.
2: Let's talk about "Mary Goes Round." If you're not tired of talking about it after uh, maybe what twenty, thirty festivals,
0: yeah, no, I, I yeah, I'd love to talk about it.
2: So, uh, what? How? What? I I like to ask the synopsis from the writer director because it's often not what you read. Um, how would you describe the film?
0: Um, "Mary Goes Round" is about a closeted, high functioning alcoholic who is forced to take care of her estranged father and learn she has a half sister that she doesn't know and becomes forced into a pseudo parent when she can't parent herself. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's a dark comedy. It's not, um, you know, it's not like August Osage County dark, but, um, yeah, it's a tiny micro budget feature shot in Canada. It was financed through telefilm, which is our funding body. Um, And luckily, we got Aya Cash to star in it. And uh, that was the turning point for my career, for sure.
2: Did you debate what tone you would tackle the uh, subject matter with? Or did you know, like, from the earliest seeds of the idea that it would be a dark comedy? Like, did you discover that? Or did you step into it? Like, here's how I'm framing this uh, story.
0: Um, The sort of... Tight rope of drama and comedy is my, like, natural habitat. It's, it's my intuitive tone, mostly because I fall back on comedy when I am too uncomfortable with the truths I'm trying to actually say. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a protection mechanism for me a lot of the time because a lot of my work is based in emotional experiences I've had. Um, but with the script, I mean, financiers were sort of like, your trouble is going to be the tone. And people knew that on the page, you know, because it's like people are dying, but then someone has a joke, and it's like it's a bit of a tonal roller coaster. But right. I, I just trusted myself to know it, and a large part of that was casting an actor who sort of embodies that that darkness and that that sense of comedy, which was Aya. Um, and in the edit, and musical choices, and I just trusted myself. I, you know i I didn't really uh have a concern with people's reservation about the tone
2: right that is that is one of my like wishes for the larger industry um which is to put a little bit more faith in the audience you know and to uh it, it, it's like it you can't there are certain things for which you know if you're a fast food restaurant you probably let the 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 consumer dictate your menu to a degree right but like in a world where people are watching things on youtube they're watching things on premium cable they're watching things that are genre hybrids it would i really hope that we get to a point where the dramedy emerges as less of a like so-called risky approach to a story and just like a way of looking at it because everybody lives their life as a dramedy yet when we yeah. you know what I mean like that's but, a great
0: uh, point it's all tragic and also hilarious
2: <laughs> exactly exactly like you know and yet though we've not we it's been decided that when folks get content they are only going to want something that's so clear in one direction and at the uh omission of nuance often that's, and that's my That's my soapbox.
0: And that- That's a good soapbox.
2: It's my complaint too, because I write dramedy and and I find like it's harder to pitch. Um, And even with, you know, there are some things I've been working on and I was like, well, let me go. Like you go and you look at some other things that have been successful. Like I read the pilot for a show. That's a dramedy. And I'm like, what becomes clear is you need that success in like the traditional Mm -hmm. classical storytelling arc to then say, I've shown you I can do it over here. And then now I'm going to do something that's different. Yeah. yeah. Um, which is why I love what you did with the film because you're coming out of the gate with no. Here's how we're going to do it over here.
0: Yeah.
2: Um. And so from there, um. Well, let me let's live there for a second. What What did you learn on the feature that was like perhaps much different from having done the shorts? A couple
0: big takeaways from the feature. Number one. I would say just because you wrote something doesn't mean you can't do the directing prep. It doesn't mean that you intuitively know how to direct a scene. Like you still have to craft each scene as if it were given to you like someone else wrote it. So I think that was a big takeaway. I think the trust in, um, when to pivot when things on the page don't work, and um, mm. I was so lucky to work with Aya, who is a, an amazing actor, who is super respectful and, you know, knows how much work goes into the material, but w- would, you know, suggest things. And, um, you have to work with actors, if you're lucky, that want to make your work better as well. And like, for a character film like Mary Goes Round, Aya is, is the whole thing. So if something doesn't feel right to her on the page, Trust your actor to know that like on day 16, they get the vibe. If they wouldn't <laughs> say this line, they're not going to say this line. Right.
2: right. Um,
0: and the other thing is just the, the longevity. Like it's just, it's just relentless. I don't think I had any clue how taxing it would be both physically, emotionally, mentally, financially, just every mm. fiber in your body is devoted to this. And, um, you know, and it doesn't end when you wrap like the edit editing process is, as you know, it's both heartbreaking and exhilarating. It's a wild (sighs) ride. And then you picture wrap it. And for me, interestingly, a film becomes a film in the sound mix. Like when you're, when you're hearing it in a proper theater, there's this like dimensionality to it where it's like, Oh, it's a film, you know? Um,
2: Right. Yeah, that's a great point, because also like at that at that moment when that's like your fi- it's like your final like line of defense for your original thesis. Right. And if you're able to like. Lay in a sound bed that. Really elevates it to how you originally envisioned the scene, then you're like, oh, I, I really made this work or sometimes like it didn't work and you're like uh maybe we should do something technically different here really like off the off the beaten path to get it back to what it we couldn't achieve in production for whatever reason
0: yeah. and it's just amazing like just like a great sound designer like the ideas they have what they can bring like i live for that shit <laughs>
2: Yeah, it no, it's the it's the best. I I our first class in, in, in NYU film school was called Sound Image. And mm-hmm. I I hated that shit. <laughs> because I was like, look, I'm ready to I'm ready. I came out of high school with my Super 8 camera. Like, I'm like, let's go. Yeah, and, shoot. <laughs> let's let's shoot. And we then we didn't shoot for a year. Yeah. And I was like, oh man. And now I now like you, I, I love the sound pro sound process. Um what's the difference in Note giving on to an actor on something you've written versus yes. something that, where you've been invited to direct, like a television show.
0: Oh God, I think there is more. <laughs> I just, yeah, I think when you've written the material, you are the author. You 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 came with the intent. You know the intent. So when you give a note, you are the author. That's not to say that your note isn't the right note, <laughs> but there is just some trust that um, that you understand the material. When you're asked to guest direct and it's someone else's script, I mean, TV scripts, as you know, like drafts come out, pages come out all the time. Um, sometimes things can get sort of muddy during the production week and then there's something that doesn't make sense from earlier, you know. Um, it's, it's tough. I think the only um, way to give a good note to an actor when it's not your own material is to fucking know that script. Like read it as much as you can, be as familiar as you can. Um, That being said, like ask the writer if something's not clear or you don't understand, like they're there to help you. They also want a good episode. And it's like, you guys have to be united front, especially if you have a, as you said, challenging actor, um, Mm -hmm. who, you know, on not great days, it's like, what is this? It doesn't make sense. I would do this. You know, that's tough when you're giving a note and someone's like, this makes no sense, right? Because you're like, part of you might be like, I agree. (laughs) but It's not for you to say that. Like in an ideal scenario, every scene is great. Every episode is great. Sometimes it's not.
2: Right. Do you have any techniques that you found for when it's like, okay, I I actually don't agree with this note um, that you are insistent upon being transferred to the actor. Do you have any like secret tips on how you approach that?
0: Are you talking about, let's say, when a producer gives you a note on set that you emphatically disagree with?
2: Uh Uh-huh, exactly. (laughs) And they want you to, and they want that note, you know, walked into said talent.
0: You have about 15 seconds, as you know, to walk from (laughs) Video Village to that actor to think of a really clever justification Uh, You know, there's sort of a cleverness on your feet that hopefully is to your advantage. I would say, do not say so-and-so wants you to try this. Don't. It's like, no, you're the middleman. If you get shot, fine. But like, don't bring the producer down with you. Pose it as a question. I, you know, I think the last two takes, you did this so well. This is out of left field. What about this? Because, you know, unless they're sort of a huge dick, it's like, fine. And if not, they're going to be like, no, I disagree. Um, and then maybe what I would do then is if they don't want to do the note, I would try to have a conversation where you get a third take of something. Mm-hmm. So that when you go back to Village, the producer, you know, there's, there's some change. Because sometimes the note a producer's giving, they, they can't quite articulate it. But if you get some shift, it might have satisfied the note.
2: Right, right. It is a. It is a. Uh, we've said tightrope a lot in this conversation, <laughs> but it, it, like it is like an
0: episode of Man on a Wire. That guy, <laughs> <laughs> twin
2: Exactly. No, it, I mean, it, I ask that because, like, I, I, I have my own ways. I, there are some times where it's like, all right, well, if because every show is so different and comedies are really? so different. What do you do? So, okay. I, are you a producing director on "Bless This Mess"? Yeah. Okay, so don't judge me. Um, <laughs> but
0: I won't. I'm the person. Get let's say I'm giving you. I'm like, hey, Pete, and I'm giving you a really shitty note. What's you? What's your move?
2: <laughs> that might be one of the few times where I'd be like, "Do you want to walk? you want to walk in with me and maybe help uh, relay this, hmm. because uh, sometimes you might find that." There's a lot of temperature checking that's happening. And I've been on some shows where I'm like, wow, there's a little, there's a point of contention between this talent and this EP or this, and it could be a writer EP. And I'm sensing that I don't necessarily, I can't, I'll never throw anyone under the bus, no. But I don't necessarily want to wear that note because I may lose some currency with this number one or number two on the call sheet if they believe that I think this is dope.
0: I know you want to almost like wink like
2: Exactly. And so yeah. trying to find that and then the flip of that is and this is the emotional intelligence part of our jobs, right? I also think well there's a person who would say if I did throw that person under the bus that same act that same actor could be like, "Oh, you're a bus thrower under." her. So I yeah. can't fuck with you. And, 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 and you're just like, oh, what is the, what is the way? Um,
0: it's, that's a, that's a great point. And like, you know, what I said earlier, like it, it depends on your relationship with the writer. Like sometimes if you're really have a great dynamic with the writers, like you guys, if you're at the mini monitors, and if I'm not agreeing fully with the note, I'll, to your point, be like, Look, let's go talk to them. Like, At the same time, like, you can back each other up and it can go the other way too. Like, if you're trying to convey a note that the actor's refusing and the writer's like, yeah, we got to get this thing, they can also be with you.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what too? Like, I I found the more, the more, um, the more like collaborative I am in, from the beginning of prep, the more, I don't want to say leeway because leeway leeway sounds like something's happening that shouldn't be happening but the more leeway as we get into production so it's like a lot of times i'll say all right so just how i love to work is the master i'm I'm more concerned about geography less concerned about like really fine-tuning the moments per se um so like if you see things that aren't happening like let me know during the master and then you know we'll tweak it as we go further but on some scenes, it may not be about getting in there and turning a knob on the master. Mm-hmm. Because I know that the actor's gonna start being like, it's the master. And, and, and also I know like we can just get, we can keep the speed up. Mm-hmm. And then as we get into what really matters, start uh, uh, prodding it a little bit more. That's um, a but great
0: often, Because actors like to feel that you're keeping the set moving. And I think also, experienced actors on series, like, they just want to know that you're going to get to home, you know, do good work and move forward. So that's right. a great tip in terms of keeping the engine moving.
2: Right. So, yeah, but it's, you know, who knows? It could all... It could totally not work as well. You're always... Oh, trying yeah, to- for
0: sure. I've had those... No, no a- anything I say on a podcast as a tip one day or probably has backfired. <laughs> <laughs> but that's so- the beauty of it. It's all... It's a great experiment, you know? And that's why right. I love it. Do you think you know something? Oh, you don't because you haven't worked with that person.
2: <laughs> right, so how does, how, does, how does the, how did you transition from episodic director to being a producing director on Bless This Mess?
0: That's a very good question that I wish I knew um, the answer to. I got an episode of the first season of Bless This Mess. It was six episodes. Um, I basically, that was sort of a fluke because I had been asked back on a show that had sort of double booked me. They had promised a writer an episode. So then they were like, oh crap. So one of the EPs was also affiliated with Bless This Mess and got me an interview there. And my managers were like, it's first series, six episodes. It's going to be really hard to get this job. But, um, I was like, all right. Uh, I met with Lake Bell and Liz Merriweather and it's like a 10 minute interview. Uh, it went really well. And Liz walked in and was sort of like, Hey, I'm Liz. And you know, she's just like this prolific showrunner. And I was like, Hey, um, and she was like, you seem cool. Uh, are you going to direct this show? And I was like, I hope so. So I did one episode, um, I think it went well. I think I got along with the cast well, which in turn, I think when they were thinking about season two, they were like, we'll have more episodes. We need someone around. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, So I got a call asking if I wanted to do that. I think my sense was that um, Fox was probably like, who she, who is this person <laughs> you know, like even when i started my first week i didn't really know what the job was entirely like there's or it's like where's the what when you google producing director there's not like a manual there the dga called sorry dga people if you listen but they were like hey like we saw you got this job that's great i'm like thanks and they're like all right well like, no offense basically, but you're you don't have a lot of credits in the US and like it takes people a lot of years to get this job you have. So it may be challenging. So I was like, sorry, was that the point of this call?
2: <laughs> Thanks for the vote of confidence. Sir. Yeah. It's
0: uh, you know, they have been great and they were like, please, you know, call us if we can support you in any way. So it was like it was a lovely call, but it was sort of funny that even they were like, Oh, this is interesting. Um, And I think, you know, in hindsight, referring to I'm someone who I think had done six or seven credits in Canada, came to the U.S., did four episodes of TV and then got a producing directing job. There's guest directors coming in whose IMDb credits are like, you know, blow mine out of the water. So how do you handle that? And I'm not there to be an enforcer like I really as a director like I'm on your side if there's any sort of friction like I'm here to help smooth it over I'm going to give you sort of the lay of the land in terms of what we do in our show we -hmm. want your ideas but like run something by me if you think it's you know if it's outside of our show and I'll run that by you know Liz and Lake or whoever um Lake Bell is a filmmaker, she was a co-creator in the show, she starred in it. So I feel like I was just, I was sort of her right hand person on set because she's very particular about how things look and uh, she knew I was an independent filmmaker as well. So I think she had some trust in me, but um, no, I just like, we all know what it's like on set. Like it's hard, too many opinions. Um, a, A good producing director should be there to help you. They shouldn't right. be directing it for you. It's like, if you feel like running things by me, go for it. Like, you don't have to show me your shot list. If you want feedback, I'm here.
2: Mm-hmm. My, we had Michael Spiller on, who was a producing director on The Mindy Project. <clears throat> and one thing he mentioned also that I thought was a really valuable, uh part of the job or or protection bit of insurance he was like sometimes you'll be months you'll be weeks later and they might be throwing a director under the bus and he would be like wait remember we talked about that scene and no one wanted to shorten it or remember the the the, there was a kid and a dog and how crazy it was that day um which is something you might not think about but there are so many i i know people who have been um you know, put on the, on the, on the, on the, I don't know if it's called the blacklist, but like at certain studios where they're like, oh, one thing happens and it gets skewed a particular way. And then they're like, we're not hiring that person at this studio. Yeah. Um. So
0: it's, it's so hard. I mean, it's, it's, I'm not going to lie. It's a hard position because you're ultimately working for the showrunner, the EPs, you know, the studio, like you're um, sort of this, it's middle management. I feel like I'm the Michael Scott of the set. <laughs> like, um, right. I've only done it once. It's very hard. The best thing was, is that it's so rare you can see other directors work. And I'm like, I mm-hmm. love this. It. Like Ken Whittingham comes in and directs a bunch. I'm like, first of all, can you adopt me? I love him. But I mean, he's a pro. So I'm the one asking him all this stuff in between right. takes. But the thing about him that I was like, God bless this man. He, despite having a bajillion other credits than me, I'm like new in town. He does a scene, turns around and is like, are you cool with that? Do we get everything? I like, he's so respectful because, you know, it's just some people it's like, oh, you're younger, you're this or you're that. You people just don't have respect for you. And I so appreciated that about Ken.
2: Ken is the man. He was my assigned. uh, And again, it kind of goes back to you can't really you have to grow a mentor naturally. But in in the Disney ABC program, uh, they assigned us a mentor, a DGA mentor, and he was mine. And um, I mean, such a wealth of information. And it was it was really cool because when there's that thing we do where it's like you you get a job and you see who you can call like to give you some intel. And in a atypical season two, I had done an episode. I did the eighth episode, and he did the finale. And I was like, "This is so cool, looping back." Because he called me up, like Pete. You know, mm. what's the deal? That's um, awesome. And he he's the he's actually I've what I'm working on myself is like as a as a kind of tribute to watching him work is the kind of theater of the job, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right. Oh like. Goodness. Like there's like it's cool if you meet make the days and have the shots and all that, but then there's like a there's like a there's like a presence and a theater to the act of the job that elevates you um in which is why you've mentioned him right
0: he is so relaxed and it's like there is a palpable difference in the crew in the cast the cast had a great time this week mm-hmm. I can sometimes i'm a little high energy i'm like I can have some anxiety. I have to force myself to your point of like the theater of the performance. It's like, I'm cool. I'm chill. I've got, this. you know, it's like, I have to put myself. It, it's a performance. I'm not who I am in my personal life when I'm directing. Like, even though you're at Video Village, like you are on a stage. People are watching you. Mm-hmm. You just haven't gone through hair and makeup, unfortunately.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but they are watching. Yeah. Um, so I, I, this is kind of going back to your earlier question, although it's not quite earlier statement, but it's not totally. So I don't know why I'm saying this, but um, not in the sense of like, as a female director, so to speak, right? But like, as a, as a director who's a woman, what ha- how has the industry changed? Um, so less about the actual work, episode of work. How's the industry changed? And what do you think still needs to be addressed for women in the direct chair?
0: I think for a while it was, there was like sort of this predatory thing of like, we need women directors now. And I can see it happening with, we need BIPOC directors, which mm-hmm. is great. People want to change numbers, but it's like, how are we actually supporting those people in this environment? How are we absorbing failure? What happens if I make my second feature sucks? Like, do I have a third, you know, because I often feel like a lot of white men can make a dud of a film and they continue to direct or they do a crappy episode and they keep going. So I'm interested in talking about longevity for careers when, when everyone's really excited to make changes and, and make these quotas. Um, right. What I will say, this is a gross, gross generalization, but... Um, women directors, I find come super prepared, like binders, clipboards, whatever their PDFs. Um, because it's almost like they're walking in expecting to be challenged Mm -hmm. on some of the decisions they've made. And I'm not saying men don't prep. That is not the case. Um, Mm -hmm. but I presume also people of color on set feel the same way. Like you're walking in where, um, you're like I'm gonna I'm gonna prove that I know what I'm doing because it's just we were it's predominantly a white male space, right. um, and that's just it is what it is. So I can't speak to the BIPOC experience, but as a white woman, I've been offered enormous privileges and opportunities that I'm grateful for. Um, it's not enough just to hire white women. Right. Um, the thing about hiring people who aren't just white men is there's a way there's different ways of communicating and storytelling, like directing doesn't need to be pointing or like speaking really loudly or, you know, there's other ways of communicating. You don't have to speak in certain words or volume, Mm -hmm. um,
2: That's a unique television challenge, though. Right. Versus because like when you when you're doing, you know, Mary goes round, people are like, "Okay, here's our creative compass, the holder of the creative compass, the arbiter of taste for this project. And we are here with her to achieve the goal of telling the story collaboratively. But then there's like a, a kind of heightened militarization to the process of making tv because it's like switching yeah. four-star general week after week and many of the things that we're talking about become i mean look i, I say all the time like when i when i do my like location scouts and and, and my tech scouts like i kind of i kind of go up a little bit and yeah. in terms of like authority right. like uh presentational authority <laughs> because i know That there are 30 people wondering, like, I'm going to listen to this fucking guy, you know, and it's just the thing that is like insurance that hopefully doesn't have to continue to be a thing that you do, Um, because there are very capable directors that I that I shadowed that I saw um, kind of the crew doing non supportive things. Be at really as a result of temperament, you know um and and yeah i'm I'm kinda of just rambling on here, but no, I think I, it's,
0: and i I've done the same thing myself too i it's funny, I am nice, I'm somewhat bubbly, I'm outgoing, but pretty early on, I will also similar to you make it clear that I am this, but mm-hmm. like don't get it. <laughs> Twisted, like I'm, I know what I'm talking about. And um, it, look, there is a precision that needs to happen in order to make a day. There's a lot of money at stake, and I understand the mechanisms of that. um, But in terms of set culture and what constitutes leadership or communication styles, we need to be more open minded. Right. However, you have to be a leader, and leadership looks like many things. Right. If you're right. not, if you, if you, if you just need to, you have to have good communication skills. You need to be a leader, whatever that looks like to you.
2: Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, if I could add a hope to your, to your hopes and your analysis, it would be uh, the folks at the top recognizing that you have to see how to pull the best out of the people you have, because, you know, in using a sports analogy, like you could watch, uh, I don't really watch football anymore, (laughs) but um, you could have a player who within one offense has a shitty year and then they get traded to somewhere else. It's like, Oh, we can exploit these talents that you have in this way. And then they're, in the, at the Super Bowl. And it was, it, it didn't reveal itself. It was always there. It was just, you chose to have a one size fits all uh, approach to the process.
0: Um, and, and some shows, like, you're, you know, I, I felt like, oh, this isn't, these aren't my people. And that's okay. And I think that's going to happen. Um, mm. Because I don't know. Like even when I got my first directing job in the US, I was scared shitless. And I was like, all I can do is be the director that I am and the person I know how to be. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And I don't, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Um, it it uh, Knocking on wood up until this point, it's been working. Um,
2: That's so why it worked. worked. Yeah, maybe. I, I, I have, yeah. I have. I have a firm belief that the moment you start like saying, look, this is how I do it. I, obviously I have—I don't know everything I've got shit to learn, but like, yeah, this is how, I, this is me. You know, I'm prepared, I'm smart, I want to do it, but I may not be the best, you may not love me and that's fine and that's cool too. I, I, I will wake up tomorrow, you know, and
0: go figure. write
2: another feature.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I read somewhere that they, again, this could be... Incorrect, but I, I read something to the effect that the crew generally forms an opinion on the director within, like, a, the first 11 seconds, which I was like, that seems about right.
2: Yeah. Um,
0: and it's so interesting also, like, I've talked to some other women directors about, like, what they wear on set, mm. and I, I'm just fascinated by how directors choose to visually present themselves, um, and I think you know, only speaking from my experience as a woman, i um, highly aware of that. Yeah. You know? yeah. It's just sort it, of interesting. It's,
2: it, but isn't it crazy how many aspects of the job have to go through a thought matrix, a decision matrix, you know? Um, and, and, you know, it's all kind of unique to who we are individually, but, like, I, I definitely lay out the clothes for the next morning differently when I do you know insecure versus like another show um oh, wow.
0: you're you're advanced your phd level getting dressed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know it's all the first day of school every day on the set but but yeah. but there's this like you know do i like oh some shows i feel like oh i can wear a tracksuit mm-hmm. <laughs> others let me let me wear the jeans and a and a button-down shirt Oh, and, wow. and not not yeah. a baseball cap, but like a Kango. Like, yeah. and, and it's just the preservation of, um, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm overthinking it, but I also think that maybe I'm not.
0: I don't think so, <laughs> I mean, if you referenced it yourself, the, the theater of being a director, sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, well, also cause it was hot as hell shooting in Santa Clarita in August, but I'm like, I'm going to wear a pink tank top, you know? Mm-hmm. And right. it's just like that. I'm going to wear a pink tank top and fucking a bold lip today because I right. just fucking feel like it to be like, yeah, I can, I can, you know, have like my blend stones and an oversized tracksuit one day. And then I'm in a pink top and lipstick right. because I want people to see like the variation of what a director in my case, who happens to be a woman can look like and they still right. do the same fucking job.
2: And you're giving a, a very valuable almost education for all the women who will follow you. Yeah. Cause they'll be like, well, Oh, that, that'll look like Molly on Tuesday, <laughs> Yeah, <totally. laughs> you know, whatever, whatever it might be. Um. Well, so turning, turning the corner, how are you feeling about returning to work in a, in a COVID-19 environment?
0: Well, I'm, I'm taking a moment. I'm in Canada right now um, to rewrite a feature that um, I'm hoping to shoot in Canada early next year. Um, And then I'm pitching two shows as well. So taking some time for development, which I think is what a lot of people are doing right now. I really want to be ready to go when things get up and running. I've heard rumblings of stuff happening up. A fair amount of stuff in Canada is shooting actually because the COVID situation is is much more controlled here. Um, I it's a weird feeling of like, wow, am I gonna work this year? Um, however, I have been lucky enough where I I said no to a couple of things because I'm choosing to invest in myself right now. Um, I worry about small things such as what does it look like. Communicating with actors when your face is
1: covered—all
0: mm-hmm. um, the nuance of communication and the humanity of what we're doing—I'm worried what's being lost.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I found myself over-emoting with my eyes now, yeah. you know, because that's uh, sometimes that's like the the underlining of like, oh, there's a smile underneath the mask, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's going It'll be interesting. I think um, I'm supposed to start a show in two episodes of a show in September.
0: Awesome. Um, so Are when this airs, I.
2: I uh, what'd you say?
0: Are you allowed to say what you're doing?
2: Um, I don't. I guess so. It's a, It's on Apple TV. Nice. Um, half hour comedy, and then I got a one hour drama in October. So it seems awesome. like it's. Really busy it's going I'm I'm kind of uh we'll see I I've yet to have oh, a, a hitting a you to
0: ask how how that experience was
2: yeah let, I'll 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 provide feedback maybe I'll do an episode on that too once I know what it, that would what be it great, looks actually. like yeah yeah well is there anything about your journey you want to share or your perspective or your lessons that I haven't Um, interrogated out of you? (laughs) Um,
0: No. I think the only thing I would share is that I am blown away how quickly things can change every couple of years. Mm. I am blown away by how much I both know and don't know. Mm. It's like, you know, I... The journey never ends. I think as time goes on, you're catering less to people, what people want. Um, and you have to, you have to be doing what ultimately lets you sleep at night. Where's your integrity in this? Um, for me, I love, I love this so deeply. Um, but my integrity is important. The types of stories I tell matter. And I think we have a responsibility to, um, to move the needle in some way in the work that we do. And that is both in the work that we choose to sign on to, but how we treat people, what's our relationship to our peers. Um, So it's sort of twofold. And I think, you know, the events of this past year have uh, brought up a lot of conversations and I think everybody's learning, myself included. Um, it's been eye-opening, but ultimately I do feel really optimistic for where things are going and the types of people who are going to be working. Like, you know, things are bleak right now, but like, fuck, like there's, let's see what, what kind of work we're looking at in five years. I think it's going to be really cool.
2: All right. Molly McGlynn. That with me. What's up, people? This is Pete Chapman. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter via at Pete Chapman. Follow the pod on Facebook on our Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman official page and hit up our mailbag with questions, suggestions, or hey, donations if you're feeling like it via Chapman at gmail.com. And just in case you need to know how to spell it, that's Pete with the last name C-H-A-T-M-O-N. All right, y'all, that's episode 15 of Let's Shoot with Pete Chapman. Uh, I want to invite you to go into the archive, into the catalog. If you haven't, check out all of the uh, great content we've been bringing you so far. And I will tease you with... Our guest for next week, it seems like uh, this is almost three back-to-back-to-back director-to-director conversations that started with Seath Mann in episode 14, continued with Molly McGlynn today in episode 15. And next week, we will have the formidable director, Millicent Shelton, uh, and she will talk to us about her journey from... uh, law I think she was in law school to uh music videos to um you know we met officially when I shadowed her on Ballers back in twenty sixteen or that might have been twenty seventeen. Um and uh she's just killing the game, continues to work, developing new material and she's uh been awarded and recognized across half hours and uh, hour long shows. So we get into a really good conversation. I hope you'll enjoy. And uh, if you have not registered to vote, go out there and get that, make that happen. um, Because we got a lot at stake coming up on November the 3rd, 2020. Um, My next intro and outro will be back at the podcast central in my office. Apologize for the handheld iPhone. Uh, video here but uh, prepping two episodes got a little hectic and my team reminded me that I had not sent them an intro intro and outro. So I'm going to give a shout out to my producer Tristan Nash, my assistant producer Jada George, our lovely announcer Kelly McCreary and in the meantime everybody stay out there making your
1: projects spread love and that's what we're going to do.